Welcome to the American Mutso Show. Dr. Kirk Moore. Have you heard his story yet coming out of Utah? He's finally breaking his silence. I'm so thankful to have the opportunity to interview him. I've been following this story for a couple weeks now. In fact, I posted an Instagram video that got a lot of views. It woke up a lot of people and the comments were amazing. Let's go to that first. But before we get going, let me tell you about a couple product reviews from one of our customers at Freedom Blends, our sponsor. From Connie, I'm a 65-year-old woman who's worked two full-time jobs since 1986. Getting older and working day and night has kind of zapped my energy. I've worked as a physician's assistant, RN, RRT, all these many years, and I've needed to find a product that give me a jump in my step. In comes Freedom Fuel. Wow, instead of turning to caffeinated sodas during the night shift, Freedom Fuel is my go-to. And remember, there is one with and without energy. I also decided to try Kami Cleanse. It hasn't disappointed. Feels like a million little brooms sweeping out the colon and restoring my healthy gut bacteria. I'm more focused, energized, and feel like I'm in my 40s again. Thank you, Connie. Go over to freedomblends.com right now. Utah plastic surgeon allegedly destroys vaccines, gave fake shots to children. Salt Lake City, Utah, a Utah plastic surgeon, his neighbor and two others are facing charges after allegedly giving people fake vaccination cards and destroying government provided COVID-19 vaccinations. Dr. Michael Kirk Moore, 58, and his neighbor Kristen Jackson, 59, have been charged with conspiracy to defraud the United States government. They're being charged by the United States government that have been very honest with us about COVID-19 vaccinations. In the allegations, the four destroyed at least $28,000 worth of COVID-19 vaccinations and distributed at least 1,900 doses. In other words, probably saved dozens of people's lives and their immune systems. Each day the clock ticks, the government's going to have a really hard time proving in court that what they did was not heroic. Because being from Utah myself, I'm very proud to know that there are patriots who are willing to do the right thing in such a time as this. When the dust finally settles, they will go down as heroes and not criminals. Mark my words. Thank you, Dr. Michael Kirk Moore. Please share this video and pray for all of their families because they're going to need it. Doctor and his company are facing serious federal charges accused of running a fake vaccine ring. Court documents state Salt Lake County plastic surgeon Dr. Michael Moore and his co-defendants destroyed nearly $30,000 worth of government issued vaccines. Health and Human Service investigation found that they would fill out fake vaccine cards in exchange for a cash donation. They're also accused of giving kids fake COVID shots filled with saline at the request of their parents. Dr. Moore and his co-defendants face several federal charges, including conspiracy. Dr. Kirk Moore, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I, I have been following this case since day one. Um, let's just, I just wanna first say thank you for coming on. And second, I want to say, um, there's a lot of people that are behind you right now. And, and I hope that you have felt that. Can you kind of just, maybe we can just start out. Who are you? Like, I want to, I want to know who you are. I want people to know who you are. Um, and, and how we got to this point right now. Well, 
Um, I'm a very passionate, very emotional person. So <laughs> um, sorry, I'm uh, it's been a it's been a rough few weeks. Um, we're getting through it. My, uh, my daughter's in Arizona. Um, and, uh, my son's in school. He's in high school. So my daughter's a sophomore at Arizona state and my son's a freshman here in, uh, in, at Juan Diego. Um, and, um, it's been a hard time who I am short story. Uh, I grew up as a military brat. My dad was an air force career, a force pilot, test pilot, um, did a hundred missions in Vietnam. I was born a little bit before he went to Vietnam. And then, uh, my sister was born after he got back. Um, when he got back, uh, in 68, we moved to, uh, we moved to Italy. Um, prior to him going to Vietnam, I was born in, you know, my dad was stationed in France. Uh, and so I was born in France in 1965. Um, we flew from Italy to Pakistan, spent three weeks in Pakistan, had dinner one night with all the mechanics and my dad. And then the next night we're having, um, dinner with the chief of their whole armed services, you oh, know, wow. um, well, it sounds we, like you had a special, it sounds like you had a special bond, uh, with your father. Are there some things that he instilled in you, um, as a youth that you, principles guiding principles that he instilled in you um yeah my dad grew up a very religious guy um his you know going to church three days a week his mom was super religious his dad died when he was two um there was nothing that he made us do because i think that was part of one of the things that you know he refused to kind of put his own kids through what he went through um but he was one of those people that when you committed to something, you had to see it to its end. Wow. What a story. And so now, <laughs> now you're here and, um, you're, when did you get into the kind of the medical field? Well, so I went to medical school from 89 to 93. Um, the Navy paid for my medical school, much to my dad's chagrin being an air force career guy. Um, but, uh, you know, so they paid for three years of my school. So when I got out of um, medical school in 93, I did my internship in Denver. Um, the Navy um, pulled me out after my internship year, and I did uh, three years of active duty in um, uh, at Meridian uh, Naval Air Station in Meridian, Mississippi. Um, I was a flight surgeon for two different squadrons there um, from 94 to 97. Um, I... Uh, was the, the the flight surgery program was a six month program and they do three months of didactic training with kind of you know high altitude and you know kind of the various things that hit you as a you know as a as a pilot you know the the medical side of being you know a pilot so we you know we'd had an internship here we'd had our medical school training um, but they you know they taught us you know the narrow I think it was called the naval aerospace medicine institute nami um so we did a you know a lot of kind of specific 
um, medical training, you know, regarding, you know, pilots and high altitude and, and various, uh, uh, and, and things like that. Um, uh, and then we did three months of actual flying. Um, so the, we actually got put in with the flight students, um, same classes, same teachers, same pilots, same instructors. And they just allowed us in, in that three month time frame, they allowed us to do as much or as little flying as you could get done. Um, and I, I think it was the 14th flight, um, is your solo flight. Um, and that was my goal was to solo in an airplane. In other words, solo means by yourself. So you don't have a flight instructor. Um, and I was the only one in my class that did that. And there were 25 of us. Um, and I think, um, they had a lot of budget cuts and everything else. And we could, we were feeling it even at the time, but I believe I was the last one to do that. And that's back in 94. Um, so I, I, it's just cool. Um, my, my dad was there. Um, my mom was there. Uh, it was just, it was a great experience. Um, flying in a T-34, um, upside down over Pensacola beach. <laughs> yeah. You were the, you were the top gun. It sounds like. So, yeah. Um, so top gun of pilots. Right. Um, and so then from there I got stationed at uh, Naval air station Meridian and I was there for two and a half years. Um, I came back to my training in Colorado, finished up my general surgery training from 97 to 99. Um, and then I did my plastic surgery training at the university of Colorado, um, in 2001. Okay. And then family, um, what about, tell us a little bit about your family. Yeah. So I met my wife, um, in, uh, 1997, actually I met her about three weeks before I was getting out and coming back to Colorado. Um, and we dated for a year and we got married in 98. Um, I had my daughter in 2003, um, and, uh, and then my son in 2007. Wonderful. So. Well, um, so let's let's kind of get into it. is there anything that you is there anything that you missed that you'd like to you know about your your background that you would like people to know about you personally um no not really i mean it's it's been a it's been a journey it's been uh you know it, it's been fun uh there's obviously been some trials and tribulations along the way but uh you know i um but no i mean that's just that's my um you know, I, I was, I, you know, going back to what you asked me before about my dad, what he, you know, instilled in me was, you know, like I said, the, you know, the, the idea of commitment and discipline and, um, and dedication. And so I, you know, it, it, um, my first year of college, I first year on my own, I didn't have to be in class. I didn't go to class. Um, and I ended up with like a 2.3 GPA. That's not going to get you into med school. <laughs> so, uh, um, I ended up having to do two years of a graduate program um, from 87 to 89 um, to kind of bone up on medicine and retake my MCATs and, you know, really kind of dedicate myself to kind of like what I really wanted to do in my career. Um, and I did. And I uh, went to medical school, graduated, you know, top of my class. Um, there's a society called Alpha Omega Alpha, medical honor society. It's the top 10% of medical students in the country. You know, I was privileged to be part of that. Um, so it is a, you know, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, like I said, trials and tribulations, roller coaster ride. But, you know, when you dedicate yourself something to something, it's, that's just kind of what I did. It took me a while to get there. Um, but I'm here. Right. And, um, and just a few 
weeks ago how long has it been now since this hit national news um you're january like, 17th or 18th i think january okay so right um kind of mid late january this hits what is going through your mind um i uh well, the first thing is the shock. Um, but the reality is I knew, I always knew that, that it was a possibility that somebody would think that I was doing something wrong. So, um, somebody asked me. So the alleged, you know, 1937 saline shots. Now I, I, I know that there's probably certain things that you can't say. And so I can say, I can say certain, certain things. Um, I, in my mind, I was, this last couple years has been very difficult for me to claim Utah as, as a, as a state right now, because of how unbelievably, um, communistic is the word that comes to my mind just everything from 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 the beginning of this covid nightmare um even till now i cannot believe that the state of utah from from leaders of every single organization possible from uh lawmakers when i saw your story what i'm trying to get to is when i saw your story and i saw this i was proud to be from Utah because of you. And, and I'm, I made this, I made a post. I don't know if you saw it on uh, Instagram, but I, I made this post on Instagram just telling about the story. And if you just saw the comments, I don't know if you, if you have a chance to go see these comments. Um, I just did one of those real stories. It, it's unbelievable how many times you see the word hero, 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 hero from people and this is not just on my reel like stories if you go read the comments this is what the american people believe um that we we have got to a point now um and i understand if there's certain things that that you can't say so i understand i'm just i'm just trying to let you know how how grateful i am for people like you because there are there are so many people in the world right now what can we do what can we do what can we do what is it that we can do and it's like hey guys we have somebody right now that we can assist and so i'm going to i'm going to you know direct people to standformore.com which is you know stand not the number four but spelled out stand f-o-r more which is m-o-o-r-e.com i'm going to have people go there i'm going to talk about it a little bit later but um you're indicted by the by the government. How many different agencies are involved in this? Um, so I had eleven or twelve agents show up at my office to confiscate my phone um, and uh, my office manager's phone on January eleventh, I believe. Whatever that was a Wednesday. Um, it was uh, it, it was the uh, Homeland Security. Um, the OIG Department of uh, Health and Human Services and the FBI. Um, and so it's, I guess, some sort of a task force um, that, you know, that, that came by. 
the the reason why this boils my blood it's like okay i'm i'm former law enforcement you're former military the government is supposed to be there to help people yeah this and and i want to go into the to the hippocratic oath in in just a minute but but we are supposed to be there to help people um and i'm just going to say it there are hundreds of thousands if not millions of people around the world right now dying suddenly and and when i think about this case you don't have to say anything there were probably a dozen or more several dozen based on the numbers that you probably saved let alone immune systems um I don't want to go any any further past that, but I do want to talk about the Hippocratic Oath because a lot of people don't understand what the Hippocratic Oath is. Well, so let's is. let's not step off the, the, the government for a minute. Um, in my opinion, um, the you're right. They're supposed to be there to help us, to help you, to help the public, um, and our Justice Department is supposed to be there to find out the truth. That's right. I mean, it's just kind of like, isn't our system built on trying to find the truth? And it's actually not about that anymore. Our justice department is um, a, it's a kind of like a notch in your belt or kind of, you know, figure out how many convictions you can get, um, which will determine on a local level. On right. a local level, right. we, we had quotas. We in Salt Lake City Police, when I was a police officer, um, we we had to have quotas. Our sergeant came to us and said, "You need five a day, five arrests per day." When I was right. on the when I was on the bicycle squad, prosecutors right. have quotas. I mean, this right. goes deep. This goes very right. very deep, and right. and and that's just on a local level. So keep going. I'm sorry. I just want. Yeah, no. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's just kind of like so. Before we get off the whole military and the whole government and the whole you know armed forces and you know and and you know police force and everything else. Um, I mean, it's a it's it's a problem. You know, I mean, it's like you said, it's a quota issue. And you know, I mean, how many people did you pull over to give a ticket to and you know it's not about finding out actually what happened and it's not about finding out why it is that people did it and justifying what it is it's just a matter of like you know the the department of justice wants a conviction um and they want to show that they so their measurement of success and their measurement of whether they're doing the right job is to convict somebody because in their presumption is every conviction means that they've gotten somebody who's bad off the street, right? Um, without looking at necessarily what the circumstances are. I'm not a drug dealer, you know, I'm not out walking around and, and beating up my wife or ex-wife or girlfriend. I'm not walking around, you know, in a gang shooting people. Um, I'm not selling drugs. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not a violent guy. Um, and you know, there's, oh, in there's this case, a, you're saving lives. This is, are, are you seeing what's happening, uh, developing in Australia right now? Uh, yeah. The doctors, how they're now going after the doctor. Well, yeah. So that, right. So the doc, so here's the deal in Australia. Okay. The, the deal in Australia is that you can get your license revoked if you spread misinformation 
and misinformation is categorized as anything against the government narrative. Same thing that California just had their AB 2098 law. Um, I mean, thankfully, it's, you know, they, they have an injunction against, you know, the law right now. But yeah, so the government gives you a narrative and you are not allowed to speak out against that narrative. But at, by the same token, they also told those same doctors that if you inject somebody with the COVID vaccine and you get a complication, you as your license is medically liable. So that is the ultimate and mandated, it's a mandated catch 22, right? So on the one hand, you're gonna lose your license because you, you're telling people that they shouldn't get it and it's an unsafe product. And then on the other hand, you could lose your license because you're gonna get, or lose your livelihood, maybe not your license necessarily, unless you have multiple, um, lawsuits that, you know, that are adjudicated against you. But um, so, I mean, it's just, it's a mandated catch 22. You, you are, you know, we're not going to, you know, it's not our fault. You can't tell people what the real problems are and you can't tell them your opinion, but if you give it to them and then they have a problem or a complication, then you, yeah, you could lose your license and you could lose your livelihood. I mean, how can that oh, but This is, this is what is, this is when you use the word evil. This is yes. satanic. This is unbelievably wrong. But this is why people need to stand up. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what profession you are. This is this is going to start happening with everything. This this cloud of communism that's coming down on the people. Well, here's so. Did you hear this? This I think just came up yesterday. Um, so um, I think the Biden administration wants to mandate that doctors treat kids and surgically operate on kids for gender trend you know uh, for gender surgery gender reassignment surgery they want to mandate that doctors do that i mean this is what happens with mandates okay and this is what happens when the government forces you to do anything much less forcing you to take a medical injection or a medical product or a medication or a shot or anything against your will. If you want or don't want to do it, it should be your choice, period. It's not, or a choice between, and a, and a decision that's made between you and your doctor without big brother standing over you going, well, if you do this, then, you know, or if you don't do this, then, you know, then you're not entitled to live. Or if you, you know, I mean, what happened to us in society? You know, I mean, just last week, um, Angelia uh, DeSalle, who's that nurse who's vaccine injured, um, just got completely raked over the coals on social media. You had people saying that, you know, her injury was faked and that she's, you know, she's got psych issues and psych problems. I mean, this lady was a nurse. She was a trauma nurse or ICU nurse. I can't remember, but, um, and she's out there and she is vaccine injured. Okay. Whether it's rare, super rare, whether it's a one in a million, one in 10 million, whether it's one in a hundred, she is vaccine injured. What gives us as humans, you know, where, what gives us to write the right to, question her problems and question where she thinks that the problems came from. I mean, it's like, you think that she's got a psychiatric problem. So be it. She's got a psychiatric problem. You know, I'm not saying she does. My point is, if that's what you believe, do you stop on the side of the street with some guy that's standing there talking to his shoulder, who's schizophrenic 
and you go up there and berate him in public and, you know, and, and tell him, hey, snap out of it and get over it and stop blaming this or stop. I mean, what happened to us as humans to doing that? You know, there was a doctor at the Cleveland Clinic when the vaccines came out that said he would refuse. I think it was related to somebody with a heart attack. He, he actually came out and said in his social media that if somebody came in that had a heart attack or that needed surgery or that needed something happen and they weren't vaccinated, that they were going to get to the put to the back of the line and he wasn't going to treat them. I mean, where, where did we go as a society? How did we get here? That's just, it, it, it just kills me when, when you see that. I mean, these people aren't human anymore. Do you guys, I hope that the audience right now can feel this. This, what you're listening to right now, this is what passion is. This is what truth is. This is what, unfortunately, a lot of doctors feel deep down inside but they have not put their money where their mouth is. They have not yet acted in faith on what they actually believe. This is why I love this man, Dr. Kirk Moore. This is the reason why I am. This is why you're listening to this. This is the reason why millions of people need to listen to this. This is how, this is how people feel around, around the world really. And, and it's now being put into action right here. So, um, Thank you. Thank you for those words because you're exactly right. This is this is madness. There is no other word. It's just pure evil madness. It's evil. It's evil. Absolute evil. And I, I remember having a conversation with a patient of mine. So you want to know where this came from? My philosophy, um, first do no harm. You know, I, I live by that from a standpoint of medical, um, you know, my medical philosophy. But it also is part of my own just passionate philosophy. You know, when, when COVID came out, um, and I'm sitting here, uh, it's March and well, I'm watching it right. March, January, February, March of 2020. And I, I'm like, wow, this is, uh, you know, I'm looking at the news reports, you know, I don't watch the regular news that much anymore. Um, you know, some, I always get online and, you know, just kind of find my sources that I've trusted over the years. And, um, and I was actually trading on a platform at options trading and the guy that trades, basis all of his trades on um on current events so you know all of this stuff with you know first started out hey you know there's a virus uh well, let's keep an eye on it and then it started to become a little bit more front page news started becoming you know a little bit more hey china's shutting down and doing this and you know and then we're shutting down travel to and from china where you know um uh you know there's there's this Wuhan is closed and they're showing pictures of the streets completely empty of a 14, there's 14 million people in the city and the streets are empty. There is not one person in the streets and you're just sitting here going, whoa, what, you know, what's happening here? So I was scared. I mean, I mean, that's, that's my, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a single dad um, and, you know, raising two kids, they're, I don't know, 13 and 16, 12 and whatever. I mean, I guess my son's 15 now. So three years ago. So, you know, 12 and, you know, 12 and 15, 12 and 16. Um, and, uh, and I'm just, you know, I'm kind of like, God, you know, I, uh, I'm worried. And, uh, so I shut my office down. I went home one day after surgery and I got online and I looked at these news reports and they're showing pictures of these supposed pictures, satellite pictures of these crematoriums in China that are, you know, roasting red hot and there's, you know, hot spots all over the country. And, you know, who knows what to believe, right? And just sitting here going, I, you know, I'm, and I'm 
seeing hundreds of people every week. And how am I supposed to know whether these people are sick and bringing this thing in? How bad is the disease? You know, whatever. So I shut down. Um, I think it was March uh, 16th, um, whatever, that, that Tuesday. I went home. I operate Tuesday, Thursday. So I went home Tuesday afternoon, um, got on the news. Before the office closed, they called me Heather, my office manager, said, Heather, uh, we're done. Um, move on my surgeries um, and we're going to close the office. We'll have you know people in there to answer phones, just have one person in there one day a week. I'll keep everybody on salary. I'll keep everybody on their time and on everything else. But So again, you're trying to do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. So this, do you see, guys, this is a pattern. He's trying to do the right thing. Do you understand? Um, within, I would say within two weeks, 10 days, max two weeks, or sorry, 10 days, two weeks, max. I was like, this is a farce. I said, you know, um, it's, it's a virus. And, you know, and then you started seeing these reports of, um, Dr. Zengle, Dr. Zelenko, Zev Zelenko, um, you know, starts sending out videos, starts posting videos. Um, you start seeing, you know, you start hearing these reports of like, um, the government telling you, you can't treat people. And I'm like, uh, so that, again, that hits me upside the head. I'm like, what do you mean we can't treat people? You know, wh why can't we use Flumidine? You know, why can't we treat people for the flu? Um, and, you know, if it doesn't work, then they go into the hospital. You know, you don't just, you don't just tell people, hey, shut things down. You know, and again, all this stuff's going on in Italy and all this stuff's going on in Spain. And you're seeing all these pictures and you're looking at New York and, you know, and Governor Cuomo's on TV saying, I need more ventilators. And, you know, and, you know, all, and all this stuff. And it's just kind of like, and he's doing these daily newscasts and it's just kind of like, and it's just, and at one point, you know, I was like, oh, you know, thanks for the information. And then it's just kind of like, it's just hitting me. And I'm just kind of like, man, what are we doing? Um, you know, there's no other disease. There's no other process. There's no other surgery. There's nothing that we do in medicine that we don't try to treat somebody first. You know, if you have somebody that has a diagnosis of breast cancer, you don't send them home because they found a, a tiny little spicule on a mammogram and send them home and say, well, wait till it erodes through your skin and then we'll operate on you. Okay. I mean, that's just not how we, that's, that's not medicine. And so then to me, it's common sense. You don't just not treat people. Um, so I started treating people. Um, and during those three weeks, you know, I'm sitting here going, okay. And that's when we had that hurt. We had that earthquake here in, in Utah. I'm sitting at my kitchen table and things are shaking. And I just had a brand new pool put in and I run outside to make sure it wasn't leaking. Um, and you know, that there wasn't water kind of, you know, this 50,000 gallons flowing into my neighbor's yard. Um, and, you know, anyway, so I come back inside and I'm just kind of like, and I'm just thinking this whole time, it's just kind of like, we got to treat people. And so I called in hydroxychloroquine and Zithromax for anybody and everybody that I knew, you know. Okay, um, okay. so so stop again. Let's just stop really quick. So uh, for the listener, for the, for the viewer, please, <laughs> again, common sense. Now he's trying. This is what we all experience, by the way. Some people, some for me, it was about a six hour period. It was like, uh. I don't believe it. And then we started doing rallies. I don't know. We started doing big rallies in Utah. But but my point is, I'm trying to get people to see he's trying to do the right thing yet again, according to his conscience. So keep going. Keep going. Yeah. So, you know, so then we do the hydroxychloroquine, Zithromax. Um, I did that for weeks. 
Um, and I, I completely knocked out, I think Draper, all of the pharmacies in Draper had no hydroxychloroquine left because I'm calling it in for everybody, all my friends, all my family. Um, and I had some people then during the course of that summer, had some people that started to get really sick. Um, and I don't remember the time frame of this, but we, you know, we talked about this, the kind of the, the law enforcement thing that was, that was a good 10, 15 minutes ago. Sorry, Eric. Um, but you know, a friend of mine, one of my nurses, her husband's a police officer. Um, and you know, he gets sick. Um, and so I treated him, treated him hydroxychloroquine, Zithromax. Um, and, uh, but I, you know, but he'd been sick for a good seven to 10 days. And that really, and she hadn't said anything to me and he didn't say anything to me. Um, and so uh, by the time I heard about it, you know, and again, this is all the time when, um, when the monoclonal antibody stuff was coming out. Okay, monoclonal antibodies was all the rage and everything else. And it was a, and it was a quote unquote approved treatment. Okay, but they were even, the monoclonal antibodies were limited. The government was telling you who you could and who you couldn't treat. So he was a, 40 year old white guy and he went in to the hospital on a Monday to get monoclonal antibodies that I ordered for him and they refused to give it to him because his oxygen saturations were not less than 92 were not less than 88% and he wasn't black or Hispanic or Polynesian. He was a white guy. So they said that he didn't qualify for the criteria. So they sent him home. Two days later, he's back again to the clinic. Um, and now this time his oxygen saturations are low. They do give him the monoclonal antibodies. Um, they wouldn't even give him oxygen and he's in the emergency room. His wife, who's a nurse, had to ask for them to put oxygen on. Oh, well, he really doesn't need it. And then she's like, his sats are less than 90. Why doesn't he need it? And not only that, why is that going to hurt? Right? I mean, what does it hurt giving a guy oxygen? They put everybody on oxygen. I mean, it's, you know, um, so anyway, so they finally put him on a little bit of oxygen and then they were going to admit him to the hospital and they asked what the treatment was going to be. And they said, well, we're going to give you a, you know, a little bit of steroids. And so she started asking about, you know, how much steroid are you going to give? Well, they're going to give, you know, four to six milligrams of uh, Decadron. And she's talking to me. I'm on the phone while she's talking to the other nurse or doctor that was there. Um, and at this point, I just said, hey, um, Mel, just wrap him up see if they'll leave his IV in um, and take him home. And so I rounded up some high dose steroids here in my office. Um, I rounded up some, she's a home healthcare nurse too. So she had a lot of the stuff, you know, IV, IV fluids, um, you know, medications, called in a bunch of stuff. Um, and I took some high dose steroids up to his house, um, treated him for, um, I, I ended up treating him for three days, but within two days, he's off his IVs. Um, and he's cleaning his kitchen, um, for, you know, cause Mel comes home and, you know, Chris is up cleaning the kitchen, um, feeling great doing, you know, doing fabulous. I, I can't tell you how many people have treated that way. Um, and again, and this was at a time when this was the FLCCC, um, protocol, which was high dose steroids, you know, Pierre Corey, um, you know, his protocol and, uh, Paul Merrick that put out that, you know, acute COVID treatment protocol, um, and, uh, and I just, you know, I followed it based on, on my own intuition of what was going on and adjusting the dosaging and everything else. But that's the protocol that I was following. Um, and, uh, and I treated him, uh, and I, another doc out of the hospital, um, sent him home, went down to his house and treated him. Um, 
I can't tell you that hundreds of people that I've treated um, with oral steroids, people that I then have come into my office and treat them on a daily basis with steroids um, and got them all better. I, I've probably treated um, uh, at least 800, 1,000 people um, and not but one why, of them has died. Why, but why, why would you do such a thing? Um, because nobody else is doing it. Nobody else is doing it. I was their last resort, and I and I was the only, um, I was the only one that they knew, and and they're only hearing about me through word of mouth. Um, I have a group me thread, you know, and some people found out that I was a doc on there, and so they'd ask me questions, and then one thing leads to another, and then somebody says, "Oh, I saw something in the thread," and so they text me, "Hey, my wife, you know, my wife is not feeling good. Um, you know, my mom's not feeling good. My." You know, my son is, you know, uh, struggling or, you know, whatever. And so I would, you know, I'd, I'd see him in the office and I'd treat him. Um, nobody else is doing it. Tell me how, um, sorry, this hits home to me. Um, <clears throat> when you're in the matrix, right? The, the matrix, the way that things are supposed to be done. I like to call it the devil's kingdom personally, because that's really what I think we're in right here when you're doing something that's outside of the matrix for other people, tell, tell me how you're feeling when you're helping these people. Um, i tell you what it is. The, uh, these people are the most thankful. They're the most, um, they still send me cards to this day. Um, they, um, they spontaneously stop by the office and drop something off. They call us uh, when when we were indicted. Um, I, we probably had sixty phone calls, voice messages, all people thanking us, and you know the occasional. I think we had in a week's time we had four people that called us up saying that we should lose our license and what are we doing. But the oh my gosh, the vast majority. Um, and I'll tell you what, that gets us through the day, okay? But these people are the most thankful, and they're the ones that um, are the most, uh, they're the ones that I remember the most because they, um, well, you know, one is, you know, I, look, I'm in plastic surgery. I don't treat sick people, okay, um, a lot. Um, and it's uh, it, it's not something that, you know, that, that on a daily basis, I'm around people dying, okay, um, or in fear of dying. Um, and so when people come to you, and they ask you to help, because they know that you can help, um, you can't say no, or I can't say no. Um, and that's what I did. And I, um, Eric, not to, um, I, uh, the first, I, I, I want to say, look, I, I think I charged one person, one person for treating them for COVID one. And that was, you know, and, and that was just to cover my costs. Um, I, I made no money on any of this. Um, 
it was because I was the last resort for these people. They, they weren't getting any treatment from their family practice doc. They weren't getting any treatment from their internist. They weren't getting any treatment from an urgent care center. They were going to emergency rooms and being turned away because their oxygen saturations were still above 90. Um, you know, and they're, and I look, and I can't tell you, I give ivermectin to somebody. Um, and within 24 hours, as long as I catch it within that first three to five day period, if they came to me within three to five days and they got on an adequate dose of ivermectin, um, 24 hours later, they are calling me back going, Hey, I feel great. I'm going back to work. I, I, and I, that happened. How, how many people did you think you helped on that side? on on like the covid side yeah uh, i eight hundred thousand people i i have no idea i didn't keep track of i didn't keep track of i'm just smiling because i'm tra i'm doing the tracking of how many lives have been helped and from you um this is um this is amazing keep going i'm sorry to cut you off no so um so, you know, so that's, you know, I mean, that was just by iteration. Um, and so going back a little bit when we were talking about treatment and I, you know, in terms of when was the last time as a doctor or as, as any clinician, as a nurse, um, even as a human being, do you not want to treat something early? That's never happened. Um, that's the first thing. Second thing is I've never, ever been to the CDC website to look for treatment protocols for my patients. I never, you know, I have somebody who's coming in and wants, you know, is having a, you know, has got an infection um, or somebody who's coming in for, you know, a breast augmentation. Okay. I never go to the CDC website looking for advice on how to take care of that. Okay. To me, the CDC website and the CDC was somebody to call if you had somebody that had swallowed something, you know, drank bleach or whatever. Okay. How do I treat that? Um, and you know, or poison control kind of thing. Or if you had, you know, if you knew, or if you had a dozen people come through your office and they're, you know, the right side of their face is peeling off and you're kind of like, okay, now what do I do? Um, that to me is where you kind of consult somebody. Otherwise I'm going to my colleagues, I'm going to my friends, I'm going to my, you know, my, my mentors and going to them and saying, Hey, you know, if I had this issue, what would you do? Send them a picture. How do you, you know, how do you treat this? Um, you know, I, I've never been to a government website. I've never had anybody tell me, you know, um, some government bureaucrat to tell me how to take care of my patients. And I wasn't about to start doing that now. Um, and then, so then you're starting to hear all of these rumblings about, okay, well, here comes the vaccine. You know, we gotta, um, you know, we, we gotta, we just gotta wait and bide our time until we get this vaccine, you know, and, and the vaccine's gonna solve everything. And I'm just kind of like, I'm sitting here going, you know, um, We've had a hundred years to try to find a vaccine for cancer and we're nowhere closer now than we were then. We've had 40 years to try to find an HIV or an AIDS vaccine and we're no closer to finding it than we were now. And you're telling me that in less than 12 months time, you guys are going to have a vaccine that's going to solve a epidemic pandemic of this viral infection. Um, and, you know, obviously you have all of the backstory of the Spanish flu in the 19 teens, 1920s, um, you know, and you're looking back and you're kind of reading about what, you know, what that all, you know, what that was all about and everything. And so you're just sitting here going, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and well, nobody, it, it makes sense politically. 
Um, but that wasn't even it. I mean, I, and, and you know, again, politically, why is this a political issue? You know, I mean, why is medicine a political issue? Why is why are we? Why is anybody getting between me and you? as you're my patient and I'm your doctor, why isn't that you don't come to me with a problem and then I give you what I think is going on based upon my experience and my, my knowledge and what it is that I can do and what it is that I can help you. I don't have all the answers. Nobody has all the answers. But my, why, I mean, why is anybody is, getting how do, we get to, how do we How do we have the government doing this to people that are trying to help others? Like what, what happened to intent? Like when I was a cop, like when I would interview somebody or if I'm if someone's under investigation, what is your intent, right? Does that even matter anymore? Does intent even matter anymore? That's supposed to be, what is the person's intent? And and now what? But they're but they're not even going to ask these things. If 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 you are, and this is coming from me, this isn't coming from Doctor Moore. If you are a government agent and you are on this case, if you're the judge, if you're who trying to go after this man, you should be ashamed of yourself, and you will be known. I promise you that you will be known because this man is trying to do the right thing. Turns out he did do the right thing from, from day one. He tried to shut down his office because he was trying to do the right thing until he started to just critically think like all of us did. Uh, Kirk, I, I saw this, um, this movie Schindler's list, um, the other day with my kids. I don't know if you've seen this movie. Yeah, I have. But uh, I haven't seen it in a while, but I've seen it. Watch it again. Because when I was when I was going through this show uh movie yet again, your case came to my mind so many times because towards the end, Oscar Schindler, oh my gosh, it is so good. But he's just saying, I could have saved one more, just one more. I could have saved one more. And he's having this deep remorse of how many how many people he could have saved against the narrative against all odds against everything and then at the very end it shows how many people's lives um yeah. he that list uh, of names that just uh, kept scrolling we'll say when this yeah. is all said and done and the dust settled, and i don't know how the government i'm telling you right now i don't know how the government is especially whenever this thing goes as far as it's going to go your case <laughs> especially with all of the numbers that are coming out i don't know how they are not going to be hiding the fact that they tried to come after you for anything because they they're going to be in a really bad spot in my opinion especially with all the 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 truth that's coming out about you know what yeah um well eric thank you for that i that's um everybody is a lot of people have made the schindler um analogy uh and frank um you know all of these kind of uh um nazi era quote-unquote you know i call them heroes not quote-unquote you know nazi era heroes you know people that hit people in their basement and people that you know kind of managed to get hundreds thousands of people out from underneath the nazi regime you know and um, I, that's, um, that's only me thinking about it now because people like you, you know, look at it. It was not, um, this was, uh, people were coming to me asking for help and they weren't getting help anywhere else. And that's 
that's where this comes from. What are, what are some other things that, can we talk a little bit about the, the, the oath that you have sworn? Yeah. Well, so the Hippocratic oath, um, uh, you know, you don't really think about it on a day-to-day basis, but it's certainly something that drives you, at least drives me. Um, the Latin term for it is primum no nocere, you know, first do no harm. Um, and, uh, so and, very first, so the very first thing that you should do under your oath as a doctor is what? First do no harm. First do no harm. And that's again, going back to sending people home who are sick, um, without some attempted intervention, even if it's not right, even if, even if you get it wrong the first time, as long as you're trying to help them, you're not going to hurt them. If there's, you know, you're, you're using medications and you're using dosing and you're using substances and products and interventions that you know have helped in similar situations. We've all treated as physicians, we've all treated viral infections before. Um, and it's not, it's not rocket science, you know, it really isn't. It's not like all of a sudden it's something new. Um, it might be a new virus or a new form of some virus. It's not even a new virus. I mean, it's, it's got 78, 79%, um, similarity to the SARS one virus. So it's already something that we've already been exposed to a fair amount of our population has already been exposed to in the past. And, you know, we all know, um, that, you know, once you've been exposed to something and you've survived it, now you have immunity to it. Um, and we all know that our natural immunity is all better than any kind of any other immunity, you know, vaccine immunity um, that you could possibly give. And we, we as physicians and as scientists have been trying to mimic natural immunity for thousands of years. So I never figured out how it is that all of a sudden natural immunity is second to, you know, vaccine immunity. Somebody who's already had COVID, now you want to give them a shot because you think that it might make them better? I mean, where did that ever come from? I mean, where is, the, 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 again, Anthony Fauci says he's basing it on science. I want him to show me that science. Where is it that he can well, show this me is the after, science? This is after he already said that natural immunity, there's nothing better than natural immunity. Correct. But, but that, that interview has changed. Right. That interview that he had with that lady on, um, uh, uh, what's this, the guy's name show, uh, with the lady that called in and said that she just had the flu and he says, no, you don't need the flu shot. You've had, you're right. Yeah. So what happened? It, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a virus, right? That's a virus. So you just, there, there's no difference between one virus. And, I mean, there's a difference between some viruses and stuff, but there's no difference between your body's immune reaction to it and your response to it and your ability to withstand another um, you know, and, and getting exposed to it again and withstanding that, you know, and, and getting better from it. I mean, you would even know that you had it. I mean, your body's just gonna, it's, it's just gonna, oh, okay, well, it's there and it's gone, you know? Um, and anyway, it's just, it's just kind of like, so, um, the, it, first do no harm. Um, treat your patients the best way that you can. Um, treat them as human beings. Um, and tell them what it is that you're doing. Um, and, you know, and they'll trust you, you know, and they'll follow and, what it is you're doing. And what is it that they want? Right. <laughs> <laughs> what is it that they need? 
if, well, if a patient's coming to somebody and saying, this is what I want and this is what I need because I'm listening to my body, doesn't that have a little sway? Yeah. Well, it always has. It always has up until these last few years. It's unbelievable. Why this matters, Kate? Why this matters? This case, you guys, this matters to all, it matters to all the world, but this matters to America because there's a reason why they're going after this guy. There's a reason why they're wanting to make a big example of him. You've been asking for a very long time, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do to help? Is there anything I can do to help? Go to standformore.com. That's stand, F-O-R-M-O-O-R-E.com. You can help him. This, if, my call to action is this. Go to this and help him. Send this video to at least five people. I'm sure that you talk to at least five people about this stuff, okay? So if you're getting this video and you're listening to this, you're going to send this to five people. That is how we're going to help. This is this needs to be we the people. This needs to be a huge wake-up call because um, we are under attack. We're under attack from all different levels. And you've got a man who, in my opinion, well, we've talked about that. He stood up. He did everything that he believed that is true. Turns out that it is true. We need to help him. Is there a final message that you would like to say that's just on your heart that you've been thinking about that you would like to get out to the world that people can hear? Um, a final message. Yeah. Um, I, you know, look, I, I, I think that this is bigger than just, well, it's certainly bigger than me. Um, and it is just like we talked a little bit about, this is evil. Um, and but the the what, what's happening to me is 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 unjust okay i i did the right thing um but i think what americans and what every worldwide citizen needs to understand um is that this is an injustice to everybody it's an injustice to all of them you know the government should never get in the way between you and your physician. It should not tell you what kind of treatment you need to have. It shouldn't tell you what kind of shot you need to get. It should never get between you and your kids. It should, it just, there's just no role for that. Um, and, you know, I, all I did was treat my patients the way they wanted to be treated. Um, and, you know, that's, that's my final message. Your patients come to you and they ask to be treated. You treat them to the best of your ability under your oath of first doing no harm. I want to tell you one other thing, uh, Eric, uh, there's a quote. Well, it's not a quote. The, the actual American Medical Association um, Medical Code of Ethics calls for, and I, I'm going to read it off of here because I want to get it exactly right. Um, when physicians believe a law violates ethical values or is unjust, they should work to change in law. The second half of this is in exceptional circumstances of unjust laws, ethical responsibilities should supersede legal duties. That is the American Medical Association Code of Ethics. Um, I didn't know that three years ago, two years ago. I just found that 
three, four months ago. Okay. But if all of us as physicians would have done that, we wouldn't be here right now. And that's worldwide. You know, if all of us as physicians had done what we felt was ethically right, we wouldn't be here right now. Because I know, I've talked to them. They're not out in the open, um, but I've talked to them. And, and we know some, you know, Dr. McCullough, you know, Pierre Corey, uh, you know, all the docs out there that have been canceled, you know, Ryan Cole, Robert Malone, you name them, okay? Uh, Kat Lindley, um, and, you know, uh, they're all out there. And they've said the same thing. I'm not saying anything that's any different, okay? But we can't be the only ones. We, it, it's, it's, you know, it's going to take an army. And, you know, and I don't mean that in the sense of a kinetic army of getting out there and, you know, walking out with your guns and, you know, and everything else. But it's, it's going to take all of us to stand up for what's right. Um, and that's what we need to do here. Um, it's bigger than me. Yeah, I'm stuck in this thing. I'm fighting the government. I've got a federal indictment. Um, if uh, if they convict me on all my charges and that they have me, I, I think I'm at risk for you know seven hundred and something thousand dollars in fines plus one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in in you know retribution or you know um, uh, restitution. Um, and I guess somewhere between you know sixteen and twenty eight months in jail and lose my medical license, lose my livelihood. Um, and you know what? Um, I would do it all again. I would do it all again. It was the right thing to do. So, sorry. <laughs> um, I love you, man. I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for your example. I'm so thankful that you are who you are. Um, sometimes in life, you have to make decisions. <laughs> and sometimes in life, you have to make the correct decisions. And Dr. Kirkmore, um, thank you. Thank you for everything you've done. Please share this video, at least five people, please. Um, thank you for coming on, Dr. Kirkmore. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate it. I enjoyed our conversation. Thanks a lot. And thanks for everything that you're doing for us.